Welcome to Nevertheless, She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. This week on She Persisted. When I look at the research, there's a five to 10 minute window of where you really want to end your life. I started having really severe symptoms of depression when I was like 12 or 13. And so my parents were just as involved in my journey as I was. If we start to feel ineffective in any of those areas, it creates that feeling of hopelessness. Welcome back to another episode of She Persisted. This week's interview is with Leo Flowers. Leo is a comedian, TEDx speaker, former D1 athlete, and the host of the Before You Kill Yourself podcast. He also has his MA in counseling and psychology and works as a life coach. This episode is so crucial to anyone who is currently struggling with suicidal ideation or has in the past. As someone who has struggled with this, I related so much to what Leo was saying and he gives amazing tips. If you know someone who is struggling with suicidal ideation, I highly recommend listening to this episode or telling them to give it a listen as well. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Let's get into it. Hey, Leo. Thank you so much for joining me on She Persisted today. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I, you know, I was listening to your podcast and I love how it's evolved and just I think you have like 40 episodes up. Yeah, yeah. To the intros and and they've slowly changed. Yeah. So that was cool to hear. Yeah, no, I started recording on an iPod Touch and I would edit an iMovie, not even on a computer. And no one really tells you to podcast. There's not really like a how to for that. It was so much trial and error. And over the past year, the quality has definitely improved immensely. So whenever people are like, oh, you have a show. And I'm like, please listen to the most recent episodes because it's just a world of a difference in terms of quality, both the audio and the interviews. So yeah. So I always like to start episodes by asking the guest what their mental health story is. What's their journey? What led them to the work that they're doing now? Oftentimes with advocacy, though, of course, it depends on the guest. So I wanted to ask you, starting from the beginning, what is your mental health story and journey? From the beginning. Wow. That's a, <laughs> that's a long journey right there. You know, I'm 44 currently. When I was nine, I told my mom when I turned 40, I was going to end my life. Uh, so that lets you know, gives you a glimpse of where I was when I was nine years old. And for some weird reason, my mom would remind me every birthday <laughs> that at 40, I, was, I said I would end my life. And not in a like, are you still going to do it? But just like, uh, I don't know, like it was like a sticky pad. Like it was like this event calendar or something. And, you know, to go back and I always try to figure out why I would have said something like that to my mom. I, from an early age, felt like a burden and felt like if my mom had not had myself and my sister, that she could be living a much more luxurious life to say, you know, traveling the world and and just doing cool things instead of having a daily grind of a nine to five, coming home, unbuttoning her pants and, you know, watching TV. But what's interesting is, and I encourage people to, to do this, is that, you know, we really do project our own ambitions, ideas, and, and, and views of the world onto other people. And what I mean is I love to travel and I, and I like, I do like the finer things in life. I also love, I love to camp, but also, you know, let's stay in a, a five-star hotel and I, I want to eat, I want to eat great food. 
And so I felt like I was preventing my mom from doing all that, from seeing the world. I want to, my, one of my goals is to visit all seven continents. I've been a five. I have Australia and Antarctica. And when I finally sat and talked to my mom just a few years ago, her only dream was to raise kids. She, she had no other ambition. And I realized like, you know, I spent so much of my life worried about being a burden to her, not realizing I was a gift and a blessing to her, that my presence was all that was needed. And, and if I had had the, the vulnerability and the presence to sit down and talk to my mom and ask her about what I was feeling as a young kid, I could have alleviated a lot of uh, suffering. But instead, I, I grew up constantly feeling like uh, a burden and I was in a way and and there were things that contributed to that for sure. The, you know, we, we had, we were, we were okay. We always had a roof overhead, food in the fridge, but I was always aware that, always aware that it was a fragile situation, you know, at any moment, you know, we, we weren't wealthy by any means, but we always, always felt like we had enough. But at the same time that in, in just a month, you know, I felt like we were always a paycheck away from it all going south very quickly. So when you, when you grow up and you're aware of, you know, every penny counts, then you don't want to add to that. You don't want to be the reason why you, your mom, and your sister have to live out on the streets. And so I, I grew up never really asking for anything. And, I, and it's funny because I have friends now who say, you know, Leo, you never ask for anything. And I was like, and, and when I meet people who do ask for a lot of things, I'm surprised. I'm like, what? Like how, I'm like, how dare you ask for things? You know, just, just be grateful for what you've been given. But as we all know, it's a, you can't, we can't have our needs met unless we ask for what we need, unless we are transparent and vulnerable. And, we, and also that we do the homework to find out what it is exactly do we need. Do we need a hug? Do we need to go for a walk? Do we need to take a bath? Do we need 10 minutes to settle down? It's, it's, you know, it's hard to communicate your needs if you're not aware of what they are. And part of like my struggle has been, I spent so much of my childhood and even my adulthood taking care of everybody else's needs that I've, I've you know, haven't really tended to my own. And so I'm kind of, even at this point, a bit disconnected from what I need at any, you know, it's like I'll eat some ice cream and be like, Oh, I didn't need that. I, I didn't need the ice cream. It was good, but I, I didn't need, it wasn't like eat a whole pint good. You know, it was just like two, two, two bites good. So, you know, if there's any message I could, I could really send out to people, it's talk to people, be transparent, let them know what you're thinking of the good and the bad. You know, we, we do a very good job of sharing our highs and we do a good job of sharing Oh, what we did this weekend and where we went and all the food, you know, we take photos of the food we're eating and all that. But to, but to also share the hurt, to share the disappointments, to share the despair, that's where the bonding happens. That's where, that's where we learn to connect with people. And, and yes, it's a risk because you, you risk, you feel like you're risking your relationship, but you're also risking it 
if you don't share, right, right, we, we hear that if we share, our vulnerable sides will be rejected or ostracized or, or shamed. But you, you risk it either way because if you, if you don't share those things, then you start to build resentment. You start to feel lonely because you, you feel like you can't share all of you. And, and it just creates this, it discourages intimacy in relationships. I know that was a long way to answer your question, but I could literally. Yeah, no, you're good. I'm totally the same way. And I, I can totally relate to you when you talk about having this belief from a very young age and early in childhood. For me, it was the belief that I didn't deserve love or that I wasn't good enough for my parents. And because it had been a belief I held since I was little, like five, six, I remember having those thoughts. I didn't know that it could be different. So when I'd gone through 12, 13 years of my life with these thoughts, I just didn't know that people were really genuinely happy or that they loved their life or they thought they deserved love. I just I just thought that was how the world worked. So I can totally relate to you with having those those beliefs and those really strong core beliefs from a very, very young age. So if you were to go back to when you started having those negative beliefs or going through your own mental health journey as a kid, as a teenager, whatever it be, what would you have done differently? You know, that, that's a, it's a tough question. I, I would have to say I wouldn't change anything because uh, I think we have this idea of, oh, if I just change this and I change that, then I'd be so much better and I'd be in this happily ever after. And the truth is I, I could go back and, and make the changes that I think need to be changed. You know, it would be easy for me to be like, well, I should just, you know, at nine years old, be like, hey, mom, am I a burden to you? And, and then she would say, no, this is all I've ever wanted. And then we live happily ever after. And, and the truth is that life doesn't allow for happily ever after and that there's always challenges and there's always transitions and, and traumas and tragedies. And, you know, nobody saw this, the, the quarantine and COVID-19 happening. And so people are right now grieving they're grieving their job loss, they're grieving a relationship loss, lifestyle. You know, there's just so many levels of grief that are taking place right now that, you know, I don't care how much money you have or, or where you are in life. It's, 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 a, it's a challenge. It's a struggle on different levels. So I, I wouldn't change anything. I, I can only say that when I look back, I, I try to learn from the fact that if I had asked more questions and had, you know, been willing to talk more, you know, as a young boy, as a young man, you know, we don't talk. We just, you know, I just, if I was upset, I just got on my bike and I just rode until I wasn't upset anymore. Or I played basketball or, you know, watched TV, whatever, you know, you, you basically are numbing out or you're acting out. And, oh, that was a good one. Numbing out or acting. Yeah, it was good. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, at 44, I, I still battle that, that instinct, that inclination and try to catch myself. And, and, and when, so when me and my girlfriend are, when I feel like there's some distance between us to ask questions instead of walking around with these assumptions and projections. Have you read Glennon Doyle's new book? It's called Untamed. Untamed. You know what? I read uh, Love Warrior. Okay. And okay. I thought it was such an incredible book. She's such a And good my sister's reading Untamed. And I actually want to read it. She's such a great writer. She really paints pictures with the way she writes. But why, why do you mention Glennon Doyle? 
there's this one chapter in her new book and and the the majority of the book is talking about how women have been kind of raised in this like cage of sort in society and taught to not feel certain things and act certain ways and it's a very it's a very pro-feminist book and it talks a lot about unleashing yourself from that shame and that cage that society can put women into and kind of stepping into your own and there's this chapter where she's talking about how she's raised her two daughters from day one to go against that and to stand up for themselves and not be swayed by these beliefs that by these non-feminist beliefs and to go to school and advocate for themselves and not think that they're being a bully or rude but that they're just being a leader and so she's taught herself she's taught her daughters and influenced them with these positive authors and movies and all these things from a very young age like straight from when they were born but she's thinking about her son and she realizes that like she didn't do that for him and she while she focuses so much on women being caged and tamed in a sense with men, she realizes it's the same thing. And they're taught that these emotions or connections or vulnerability, those are bad. And those are things that should not be felt. And so she makes this huge distinction how these seemingly feminine traits as society has labeled them, whether it's vulnerability or crying or emotions or sadness, they're human traits. And what woman had been tamed to fit in a box and stay at home and be in the perfect marriage or whatever it is as she relates to it in her life, men have been put in a cage as far as feeling these emotions and having these human traits, which is what allows us to interact and connect and build these relationships and it it reminded me a lot of what you were saying about still having to combat those beliefs or instinctual reactions that society just ingrains in us for so long yeah i had a buddy of mine because you know i do stand-up comedy and we're all in the green room and you know he's he's an alpha male type of guy however we you know deem that and i I forgot i said something to him just kind of just trying to rib him a little bit and he looked at me and he's like, hey, I'm fragile. And it, it was so funny the way he said it. And it, all, it also made me look at the fact that I have moments where I feel fragile also. And I've been using it also. I just never heard anybody say it. And when he said it, I was like, God, that really describes so, some of what I've been feeling sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's advocating for that. It's letting them know, hey, like I'm having a rough day. Take it easy on me, whatever it is. And communicating that need and advocating for that, because unless you put a name to it or a voice to it and communicate that, they have no way of knowing. So you also have a podcast, the Before You Kill Yourself podcast. And so you're doing phenomenal work with suicide prevention and awareness. And so I wanted to ask if you could tell me and listeners a little bit more about your mission for the show and the work you're doing with that. So my podcast, Before You Kill Yourself, and I struggle with that title for so long. You know, I've had messages from people saying that they were afraid to listen to it because the title itself was triggering. And one of the reasons why I decided to move forward with that title is because we don't talk about it at all. There, there's, there's more, you hear more whispers about it and, you know, a little off in the corner, you might hear a little something about it. And, and occasionally a celebrity will, will end their life and then we'll talk about it for two or three days. And then Monday, we're right back at work doing whatever and talking about sports. But for the most part, suicide today is looked at like, Cancer was 50 years ago where if you had cancer, it was contagious. So nobody talked about it. They didn't want to be around anyone who had cancer. 
And, 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 you know, as I told some of my friends of my struggle with suicidal ideations, I could, I could see a, a slight recoil in the body language and maybe I might get in the phone calls like I used to. And so, cause there's still that stigma, you know, like, it, Oh, if I'm around someone who, who thinks like that, then may, maybe I'll start thinking like that. And so the, the, so I, I realized I had to do something that would be in your face. And, and it's like, and it would be clear of what I'm talking. I didn't want to have something like, Hey, thrive with Leo or, you know, just stay. I didn't want something like I'm done with cute. And, and sometimes we, we need both Martin Luther King and Malcolm X to, to move things forward. And I was like, I'm going to pick Malcolm X in terms of this title, but also the title was birthed out of the fact that when I think about the, the moments I wanted to end my life, I've called the suicide hotline twice. And the, 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 it's such a small window. It's, it's literally, I go from wanting to end my life to a five-minute conversation with someone from the suicide prevention hotline, which, by the way, these people are, I've, I've called twice, they are so highly skilled and trained. I've never felt more seen, heard, and understood in my life than I have when I call that number. It makes me just want to call them just to be like, hey, how's it going? Like, it was such a great conversation both times. Yeah, no, that's something I really, really want to do when I get older. They won't let you do it when you're uh, under 18 yeah. um, because it's a liability and stuff like that. But that is really a wish list item for me is to be able to answer those calls and help people when they're at that low because I've been there too. And, and I, I'd recommend for, for listeners, if, if you've thought about it and to call them anyway, even if you're not thinking about it right now, because the first time to call them is the hardest time. You, it, when, when you're really in despair, when you're really, uh, when you feel like you've hit rock bottom, uh, trust me when I say you're not going to call them then. But if you've called them before, and, and now you're comfortable with calling them. And now it's part of your, your, your DNA, you know, it makes it easier to call when you really do need to call. And you can just call and say, listen, I'm not thinking about it right now, but I have thought about it in the past. And they will still talk to you and they will still help you explore your emotions. And, and you'll feel so comfortable that then you'll know that you have a friend to listen to. So I, I always encourage people, don't wait. And until, you know, you're on the precipice of ending your life, just if you've thought about it, make that phone call and, and know that like the cops aren't going to kick in your door. Nobody kicked in my door or tried to like, you know, throw me in a psych ward. They, they truly listen to me. So. Yeah. So I did a lot of dialectical behavioral therapy or they call it DBT. And part of that, there's like the group therapy and the family therapy, you learn the skills. There's so many different parts, but one of it one specific part of it is called phone coaching. And so you have phone access to your therapist 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so when you first start with a new therapist, for me in my experience, one of the first homework assignments is, was, okay, give me a call at some point this week. And some will say, okay, tell me some positive news. Some will say, call me when you're in a minor bit of distress and just check in about that. Because if you don't have that foundation and that confidence that you can call when something really does go bad, like again you won't be able to call when something really does go bad and so working up to that when you're not in such a bad headspace and it's the exact same thing 
in a friendship. You're more likely to call a friend if you have that foundational relationship and you call them when you're not necessarily severely struggling so that when you are, you know they're there. You know that they're there to support you and they can help you out. The Going back to the podcast, it the, the idea of before you kill yourself, it stems from the idea that you know, when they look at the research, there's a five to 10 minute window of where you really want to uh, end your life. I, I call them sandstorms, you know, because I was watching this movie and, and this, this military guy got caught in a sandstorm and he had to hunker down. You can't fight the sandstorm. You can't run away from it. All you could do is he stabbed his rifle into the sand and he knelt down and he just waited for the sandstorm to blow over. And it, it takes a, about five to 10 minutes. And it's the same thing with that feeling. So it's like, if I can buy you five to 10 minutes, it's like right before you kill yourself, listen, have you called your mom? Have you done the dishes? Have you fed the baby? Have you gone for a walk? Have you cried? Have you just said, fuck, this sucks? Have you danced? Have you, you know, you know, have you just, uh, whatever, it, whatever it is, did you, did you thaw the meat out for tomorrow? All these, all these little things that can distract you long enough for that sandstorm to blow over and, and even practical stuff, you know, we have not just uh, therapists on there and people who have gone through it, but we have people in the realm of finances. We talk about relationships because we know when people end their life, it's, it's usually around relationships or in, in the case of kids is usually grades, breakups and or job loss and, and uh, loneliness, you know, so when, when people really reach a place where they feel hopeless. So it's like, how do I give you, or even chronic pain, a lot of people uh, experiencing chronic pain. So, you know, we have, we even had a, a eye drop doctor on because people with dry eyes, it does get very painful. And some people have entered their lives over that. So we, we have people who cover the full 360 of your physical health, emotional, mental, you know, occupational and, and social health, all these different areas that, if we start to feel ineffective in any of those areas, like the work that I'm putting forward, it doesn't matter, then, you know, it creates that feeling of hopelessness. So we try to give you hope in, in those areas. And it's funny because when you have had a suicide attempt or you have experienced suicidal ideation, they, the doctors, the therapists, whatever, they ask you those questions. Do you have a chronic illness? Do you have a family history? Have you had any major changes? Are you at a new school? Do you have a new job? Have you recently had a loss? Like all of these things, these stressors that can really contribute to increasing your risk of suicide. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that you're shedding light on that. And, you know, the great, the question that you brought up in terms of, have you had any changes? And I think that one of the things people underestimate is the effect of a quote unquote positive change. You know, there's a, a documentary right now on HBO about Olympic medal winners. I think it has Michael Phelps and some other Olympic athletes who, and they experience they experience a huge depression after the Olympics. You know, it's such a, it's a four-year buildup. And then the games, and then nothing, right? A lot of them don't get paid much money, um, and they have to go right back to, you know, a nine-to-five job or, or what have you. And so, and even if they do make money and there is celebrity, as in a Michael Phelps, you're still not quite prepared for it for, for different reasons. So positive transitions, when people get married, that's why there's a, what is it? Uh, postpartum depression. It's like 
this moment where you have a baby it's supposed to be the greatest moment of your life and then you it's not it's it's uh painful or going off to college so these positive transitions are are also areas where we need to catch we can catch people yeah definitely so one question that i always ask fellow podcasters when they come on the show is how has podcasting impacted your mental health Wow. You know, and this is going to sound kind of selfish. It's there's something soothing about hearing my own voice. Yeah. Everyone's like, I hate my voice. And I'm like, no, I, I love listening to myself. I love listening to my voice. I feel like I say great things. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's, you know, even in, you know, I, I know everybody's not going to start a podcast and I, I don't encourage you to, but instead of, I, I would encourage people instead of like listening to like a self-help book or whatever, is to record messages to yourself. A, a lot of top performers, yeah, that voice memo, record, you know, have a morning message, afternoon message, uh, a nighttime message, and you'll be surprised at how soothing it is. Even if you're struggling with sleep, you know, uh, read a bedtime story into your voice memo or a letter from a loved one. But our own voice is soothing for whatever reason. I'm sure there's science behind it, people who maybe hate the sound of the voice and and but maybe it's the sound system it's like i like the sound of my voice you know through this five thousand dollar microphone but i don't know if i like it through so much through just a voice memo but but our but the sound of our voice is soothing so it, it gives me that and it also gives me the it's also a reminder of that i'm doing something that i'm moving forward when i get to see when I see that, like, I think we're at over 200 episodes now and it's like, oh, I'm building something. I'm creating something. I'm, I'm producing something and sharing it out in the world. And then I think the biggest impact is the feedback that I get from not just listeners. You know, I have listeners throughout the world. I'm able to track the, the stats, but from family members and friends, people close to me who um, are like, oh, my God, I love the episode. I didn't know that about you or it also gives me an opportunity to, to learn more about my friends and family. You know, it's, it's a, what's remarkable is that you can grow up in a household with people and know nothing about them. You think you know everything about them. And then uh, somebody says something, you hear something and you're like, what? I didn't know. Like, where was I? You know? And, and so it's really opened up dialogue between myself and my family and friends. So I cherish it for, for that more than, than anything else. I mean, obviously the people who said that uh, they were on a precipice of ending their life and the, the, the episode saved them and listening, they, they feel like they're, they're less alone in the world. But really it's like to be able to have those deeper connections with the people already in my life. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned your family listening to the podcast, because if you go back, I have my sisters, I have my, I have another brother on because he's younger, I've had my dad, I have lots of my family members on the show to come and talk about their experiences when I was struggling, how you can support family members, et cetera, et cetera. But getting them to actually listen to my episodes is literally pulling teeth. Like we'll be in the car and I'll be like, please guys, it's a great episode this week. I have a really cool guest. I work so hard. Give me just listen to it. Like they just don't like doing it. And so it's funny. And I, and I also think that a big part of that is that I talk about these really raw moments from when I was struggling two, three years ago, whenever it was. And I started having really severe symptoms of depression when I was like 12 or 13. And so my parents were just as involved in my journey as I was. They were the ones that were by my side when I was in the hospital or going to all these appointments. And so talking about these interactions and these emotions that fueled all these stressful 
conflicts and a really, really difficult relationship, like that is rightfully so very traumatic and to bring back all those emotions. And so it's, it's very valid for sure. Yeah. And, you know, and what will probably happen is that they'll binge watch or binge listen to episodes I, because even myself, I don't listen to every episode. I go through waves where I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I can go I can go dark for a few months on listening to my own podcast. So it's interesting. OK, so the next question is a little bit different and I have no idea what the answer is. I don't expect you to necessarily know what to say. But when researching this episode, and what I wanted to ask you, a big thing in the media and then in the news right now is that suicide rates are projected to rise due to coronavirus and due to quarantine and shelter in place and all of that. So I wanted to ask you, A, what are your thoughts on this? And B, what can we do to prevent this? I think one, I, I think it's going to be hard for them to determine people ending their lives because of COVID. I think, and the reason why I say that is from what I've seen, I've seen a, a huge decrease in a lot of areas. And so, I, you know, these, these newspapers are going to, you know, gaslight a situation to, to sell papers. But what we've seen in some demographics are a decrease in suicides because people don't have to commute to work the, like, the way they used to. So that's two extra hours they get to be at home. And that's two extra hours that they now can spend on their their physical health, right? They're not in a car, stressed out, trying to squeeze in a a stop at Starbucks or coffee and having to wake up earlier than they they want to. And also it gives them more time to now be active and work out so they can alleviate the stress uh, that they were feeling before that, you know, that commute was taking up. And we also see that because family members are home, People feel less alone. It's encouraging conversations. You can't hide anymore. You're home now. There's nowhere for you to go. And so the, going back to what we talked about in the beginning in terms of encouraging transparency, encouraging talk, and, and encouraging curiosity, you know, finding out more about the people you live with. And we're all walking around with these assumptions. But to take, you know, one of the things, and I know it's hard, one of the exercises that I have or tactics or whatever that I do when I'm watching a TV show with my girlfriend or reading a book or a newspaper, if something pops up that I think is interesting, I'll pause the TV show and ask her questions like, what would you do in that situation? Would you, would you have stolen a car? Would you have slept with that guy? Would you have, you know, uh, not told me if that had, you know, like TV, you know, gets a bad rap because they're like, Oh, it's just feeding your brain. But it really is an opportunity for us to expand our dialogue with the people in our lives uh, if we use it correctly, right? It's not something for you to just sit there mindlessly watch and then go to bed. You should be debriefing what you're watching with your family members, right? If, if you're watching a movie or a TV show, pause it and be like, hey, hold on. Do we agree with what she just did or what he did? Or is, is, is how would we respond if, if, you know, that went down? Or, you know, is that funny? Is that not? And what does this say about him? You know, I was just watching The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. And so I, and I'm talking to all my friends now about motivation. Like, is it acceptable to motivate people through uh, a form of bullying, which is what he was doing. He was demeaning other players. Tiger Woods, same thing. His father would demean him and say some really insidious things to him while he was a kid. 
And so this is, you know, I posted on Facebook and I've talked to friends. I've talked to Mark, like, you know, what's a, an appropriate way? Does the, do the ends justify the means? So there's so many opportunities for us to have a conversation. It doesn't have to be all about feelings and I feel hurt and pain. It's like we can, it's an opportunity to talk about bigger ideas in the world around us. And we just have to capitalize on that. So when I say talk, I'm not just talking about what's going on in your heart and in your belly. I'm talking about what's going on in the world and in, and in TV. I, oh, so going back to the reduction or, you know, the, the alleged spike in suicides, but we also see a decrease in the, because kids are staying home, but not being bullied as much physically. So there's a reduction in bullying and, and kids feel safer at home. And, and now some kids are able to get more help. I mean, yeah, there's some kids who have been left out, you know, the Wi-Fi, Zoom, laptops, computers, it, it, you know, if you don't have that stuff to, to at-home school, you, you, you might uh, be struggling definitely right now. So I, I don't want to downplay that. But in some cases, some, some kids and families are actually thriving and people are thriving because of the lack of commute, not being bullied at school. And then also spending more time with the people around you. I have friends now who are considering moving out to city and, you know, buying a house with land and farms and, and getting back to our roots and growing and gardening and growing vegetables. And so people are discovering a new way of living and, and, and figuring out how to be more self-sufficient and how to connect more to the world around them. Camping gear. You can't find, I tried to buy a tent, like, like exercise equipment and camping equipment are all gone. It's empty. It's like trying to buy flour at, at, at Whole Foods, like all, all the baking, baking, camping and exercise. I like, I'm like, are we working out or are we, are we baking? Like, which is it? Because why are they both sold out? But, but, you know, for, but for the people out there who are struggling and, and on that precipice, know that you have resources out there for you. And, and, and unfortunately, it's not marketed. You know, alcohol, tobacco, fast food, they have all the marketing budgets. So they can promote ways for you to numb your feelings. But the, the, the resources available for you to be able to pay for college, I had my, my grad school paid for it through an assistantship. They don't advertise that. I had to do some homework to learn about that. The loans that are out there and their grants that, you know, if you're an artist or if you're starting up a business or you're an immigrant or you're an Indian, like there's so many different grants for so many different things. So, and, and this is not to say that it's there for everybody, but it's there to say that there are more resources available than you think. And there are more free resources available than you think. And so don't be ashamed to ask for help the way I was ashamed as a nine-year-old to talk to my mom. Know that everybody, rich and poor, are, are clamoring for those resources. You know, Apple, which is a multi-billion dollar company, they're still trying to get tax cuts. They're still trying to get a break. They're still asking for handouts. They're still, they're still like writing grants and trying to get money. So why wouldn't you, you know, uh, try to do the same thing? The paperwork sucks. I get that. But, but the point is, is that there's, there's no shame in asking for help. And it's not about a handout. It's, a, it's about a help out. And we all need that. You know, it's super powerful because when is the last time that literally the entire world was experiencing something like this? When's the last time, like, 
everyone is impacted by coronavirus, whether it's the loss of activities or people in their lives or their livelihood, their daily routines, all of that, like we are all being hugely impacted. And so, yes, while some people are living alone, maybe it's less daily interaction, we're not going to school anymore. It's also very unifying. And we're all going through very similar emotional experiences. So that in another way is also, again, brings people together a lot and fuels a lot of connection. So I wanted to ask you, what are your best tips and tricks for someone who is currently struggling with suicidal ideation? Uh, my first tip is uh, take your shirt off. Quit, quit, quit. You know, it's like when we are in despair, we'll want to hide, we want to cover up, we want to minimize. You know, we got the, the curtains drawn, we, we got sweats on head down, take your shirt off, you know, take your shoes off. When we talk about breath, we're always talking about in terms of inhaling and exhale, but we have to let our skin breathe and let our body breathe and, and get, get your feet on some, some grass and some sand and, and just feel life, feel that breeze that's blowing by outside. Right? So, so take your shirts off, take your shoes off and just, and just feel that breeze. That's, that's number one. Because otherwise we cover up, clam up, and, and isolate ourselves. So do the opposite of that. Take your shirt off. Number two, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. Just just sit there. When 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 I always think about that that movie going back when the military guy was walking through the desert and a sandstorm came out of nowhere, he just he put his his rifle in the sand and he just knelt down and hunkered down right there. He put his head down and he just knelt. Until so that sandstorm blew over them. And, and that's what meditation is. That's what prayer is. That's what uh, taking a nap is. That's what laying on the beach is. That's what sitting in a bathtub and, you know, sitting a nice, put some Epsom salt in there, a little lavender, treat yourself, light some candles. You know what I mean? Don't be ashamed of that. Leo Flowers takes a bath every now and again, too. You know, there's something soothing about feeling like you're in your mom's womb again. You know, that's, if it, if it wasn't soothing, we, we, we would have been out of there in, in less than nine months, right? But it's a soothing place to, to feel embraced in, in a bathtub. And that's natural. Showers are not natural for us. But the bathtub is rivers, lakes, oceans. We're meant to be surrounded uh, by water. So the bathtub is, uh, is a way for us to do that. Hot tubs, you know, all those types of things. Number two. And then number three, you know, talk, talk to people. Talk to um you know, talk to an enemy, call up, call up old enemy and, and, and just share your, your emotions with them. And I promise you'll be surprised. Don't, don't call them to yell at them. Just be like, Hey, I'm feeling a little hurt, a little down right now. And you know what? That enemy is going to build you back up. You know why? Because enemies need a foe. They need a formidable opponent. And so they're going to build you back up. And so they can talk trash to you again later on. So, so call your enemy, call a bully, call somebody who you think doesn't even wouldn't would give two cents about you and you'll be shocked at their response. I've done it or call an 800, call any customer service hotline, you know, call AT&T, call, call us. They got to talk to you. They can't hang up on you because those calls are recorded. So they have to talk to you. They have to be friendly. And, and, and they, you know, when those creditors call and they're trying to sell you something, pick up the phone and be like, yeah, yeah, I, I want to buy that, you know, because I'm, I'm just, I'm just not really feeling like myself right now. <laughs> First day with a couple questions. Think, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, there, there's, there's around you and, and feel all your feelings. Don't, 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 listen, don't just be here. I, when I played, don't be here for the, just the good feelings. Like when I played basketball and, and I know a lot of people don't play basketball, but 
the the people the, the worst people on the team were cherry pickers. And cherry pickers are the people who instead of playing defense, they would just wait under the basket on the opposing end to get the rebound so that they can they can score points. So they just want to score points. They don't want to play. They ain't want the work of running back and forth and playing defense. We call them cherry pickers. But in life, you got to play offense and defense. You got you to be here for the good times and the bad times, for the joys and the despair. So don't be, don't be cherry picking your feelings. Don't be here just for the joy and the happiness and, and the excitement. Like you, if you want some of that, you're going to have to be here for the despair, for the pain, for the hurt. And, and know that that's okay. That's a part of life. And, and everybody is saying that. And it's okay for you to say, I'm in pain. Quit walking around with this whole, I'm fine, I'm good. It's like, if you're good right now, then you, you, you are still in money or you, you, you got like a, a bank account in the Cayman Islands or something like that. So it's okay to, if your cashier asks, how you doing? I'm in pain. And look them right in the eye and wait for them to respond. Tell the world how you're feeling. Don't, don't hold that stuff back. And then last one, listen to my podcast before you kill yourself. That's on iTunes, Spotify, and all the things. So So in addition to like calling customer service, suicide hotline, talking to a friend, all of that, what other resources are available to people that are struggling with suicidal ideation? You, you, you are your resource. The, the, one of the things that helps me anchor and ground myself is to look back on moments that I've overcome. Whether it's old photos, old journal entries, you can look back at those moments and be like, oh, I've overcome before. And I've been through this before. And so I can, I can keep going. We forget our hippocampus literally plays tricks on us. It allows us to forget all the good things that we've done and all the good people in our life and all our resources. But it remembers all the, all the uh, negative comments. It remembers all the times we've been hurt and beat down. And it cr- creates a very narrow view of how we see the world. And so that's why it's important to have a vision board, to, to journal what your day is like. You know, a lot of times you go through a day, you have a great day, and I've had this. And, but then one thing, some, one person says something, that, you know, oh, just, and that's all you remember. Yeah, you forget true. that you won the lottery this morning and that you walked outside and there was a brand new Mercedes Benz uh, parked there for you and that Jennifer Lopez called you. And that you lost five pounds, but you remember the one middle finger some old lady threw up at you. Yeah. And I mean, we are wired yeah, that way. When are. you think back to like the caveman days, if you were more focused on how nice the sun looked instead of a lion coming at you, like you just wouldn't survive. We've evolved this way for a reason and focusing on the negatives is more effective. However, as we've, as our lives have rapidly changed and we live in this very safe world now, relatively compared to when we were hunter gatherers, it's not as effective for our mental health to be constantly focused on the negatives. And so uh, you have to be very aware of that and bring a lot more intention to looking at the positives and things that you are grateful for so that you can still be effective for your mental health because it's different now. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things I do also is I love to read fiction, novels, or even biographies, Unbroken is a great one, and The Boys in the Boat, and I'm listening to Tiger Woods' right now, but stories of where people are overcoming great obstacles. Endurance, there are three books that I could recommend to anybody 
who really feels alone in the world and is like, there's no way I can get through this. One is Unbroken by Laura Kilgagard, I think. Angelina Jolie made a, a movie about it. You won't believe the things that this guy went through. And, and I, I just, you won't believe it. And then there's a book, Endurance, about the ship that went up to Antarctica and everything they had to go through. And then The Boys in the Boat is about this young boy who wanted to be a rower, you know, in, in college. But, you know, it starts off with him as a kid and everything that he had to go through. So reading books and stories about people who, are, who have overcome, you can get the audio book. There's free trials if money is an a issue for you. And or you can rent them for free from from libraries, from public libraries. Yeah. So and and, you know, the other thing I would say is and this is something I started for myself is I started a men's group, you know, because I, I because I'm a person, I'm an introvert and I don't really I, I know you really can't tell from this podcast, but I'm, I'm a super introvert. I, I'd, I'd much rather be hanging out, you know, by myself and with books and my girlfriend. I said that because she, she's right over there. But it's like I started a men's group and it was just guys who are that I've, I've met who have either been guests on my podcast or friends of mine from different areas of life. And that was my way of, of recognizing that I have to be proactive in making friends. I'm 44. It's not like when I was a kid where I was going to school every day and, and you know, and every year there was a, a new group of kids I can make friends with. I, as we get older, we have to be proactive this so the things we want in our lives and need in our lives, we have to actually pursue and, and be willing to do that and, and cultivate that and curate that for ourselves. So. I, I'd say, you know, one of the things that really helps me to, that really anchors me is to find a way to be of use to someone else or something else. We, we, we have such an idea, and especially here in America, and it, it, unfortunately that, that the mentality is traveling to other parts of the world where it's all about us and I gotta get mine and standing my own too. But here's a lesson I took from football. At the end of every practice, in the summertime, we'd have two practices a day to prepare us for the football season. It'd be 100 degrees outside in summertime, and you're wearing like 40 pounds of equipment, and it sucks. And you barely have enough energy to run the wind sprint drills at the end of practice. You just practice for two hours, and now we got to do 10 wind sprints. And so you would barely get that done. And you would get done, and you look up, and there'd be other guys who you, you, fit, you did 10, and there's some guys who are on three, and they're just struggling. And when you run out there, after you've already done your 10 and you put your hand in the back of your brother to push him along for his next seven sprints, the amount of energy and power that you have is undescribable. And I don't know where it comes from because I tell you what, if I had to run the 17 by myself, I couldn't have done it. But with my hand at my brother's back, I could have run 100. And so anyone listening, find someone's back that you can put your hand up to. Because we are not meant to go on this journey of life 
alone in isolation. Yeah, you can get a distance and you get there maybe a little quicker. I got my, my 10 done really quickly, but we go further together. And that's why at the end of every podcast episode, I end with, let's get to tomorrow together. Because that's the only way we get there. I don't want to wake up tomorrow and be the only one. Well, yeah, thank you so much for coming and sitting down today. I'm so glad we got to have such an amazing conversation and I really appreciate you coming on the show. If you guys want to keep up with the work Leo's doing, you can follow him on Instagram at leoflowers2000. Head to his website, leoflowers.com, to look at all of the work he's doing and book life coaching if you are interested. And of course, listen to his podcast, Before You Kill Yourself, on every platform. All of this is linked in today's episode notes, and be sure to head over to his show and his Instagram and let him know that I sent you. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is amazing. And the fact that you're starting this at such a young age, I'm excited to 